Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Welcome back, friends. It's time to jump into the second part of my conversation with Dr. Lance Bourgeois. If you haven't had the chance to listen to the first part of our conversation from last week, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to part one before diving into part two. Today, we discuss Colossians 3 and try to tackle those hot button words in marriage, like the word submit, and biblically what the term means in the context of marriage. I think you will be surprised just like I was. The discussion provides a rich theology for the call of both the husband and the wife in marriage and how each unique call for the husband and wife gives us an opportunity to experience what a Genesis 2 marriage was created to be. Let's get started. So when we're talking about some of these trigger words in Colossians, um, you know, I guess it kind of brings in like the call for the wife and the call for the husband. So when we're talking about like even just the verse, the first verse in 18, where it says wives submit to your husbands right. as is fitting okay. to the Lord. Let's, uh, okay. let's unpack that and make let's the S word not as spicy. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Genesis two was intended to be one way. Genesis 3 wrecked that. Colossians 3, if Colossians 3, and we see the same word in 1 Peter 3, and we see the similar word in Ephesians 5, right? So if we're going to grasp that, because a casual reading is going to make all the hair stand up on your neck. So I've got to be a little technical in how we approach this. That word submit in the original language is a compound word. It has two it's a compound. It comes from two words. The first part of that word is a preposition, which means to place under, to place yourself under something. Mm-hmm. And tasso, uh, the second part of that Greek word, it's Greek word is hupotasso, hupo, to place under. Tasso is to a ranking official or authority or something like that. Okay. So the idea is, is, is that you place yourself under a ranking authority. It's really a military term. Here's what's so significant. Wives, submit, place yourself under the ranking authority to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So there is so much in that sentence that we've got to understand. Number one is that word submit, that verb is a present tense verb, not past tense. It doesn't speak about the past. It doesn't speak about yesterday. 
It speaks about today in this moment. Now, the other part that gets really technical is if you remember, and I know you do because you're a scholar uh, <laughs> from Boston College, is a verb has a voice, right? There's active voice and there's passive voice. The active voice does the verb. The passive voice receives the verb. I hit you, active. I was hit by you, passive. Yep. But there's a the third voice, and it's the middle voice, and it means I do it to myself. Wives, in this moment, place yourself under the ranking authority. Why is that significant for these reasons? Number one, it is never, ever appropriate for a husband to tell his wife to submit. It is not she was made to submit. This isn't uh, the Flintstones or something where you grab them and drag them by their hair, right? right. <laughs> that, that would be if she, if she was passive, she was made to submit. That's not the verb. And it's not her doing the action, the verb. It's middle voice, which means it's her doing it to herself. It's this voluntary yielding of herself to say, and it's not to men, by the way, either. If you look at your copy of scripture, it's wives voluntarily place yourself under your husbands, not to men, not to all husbands, but to your husband. Yeah. But within the marriage union is that if God has created any structure in the marriage union is that he's, I think he's saying, if we're going to undo the curse, which was what? I won't trust you. You're not good. You're not safe. I can't count on you when the chips yeah. are down. Mm -hmm. Paul is saying, if we're going to counteract the impact of the curse, Genesis 3, and it taste Genesis 2, this is, I think, how we get to taste Genesis 2, is that there is this voluntary yielding to the leadership of a husband. He doesn't enforce it. He doesn't demand it. I would go so far as to say, it's not even his word to speak. Yeah. I don't, I would never verbalize that word to my wife and say, hey, submit. Yeah. <laughs> Get in line. Get in line. You don't ever say that. That's, that's such an abuse of what I think scripture is saying. And, and by the way, the last part of that, as is fitting to the Lord, is that idea that, you know what? We always get the question, do I always submit? Well, I think Paul tells us, no, it's fitting to the Lord, is this idea is that as you walk through this life with, with your spouse, as wives, wives walk through this life with their spouses, their husbands, is if the husband tries to uh, bring her into a sin pattern, is no, you don't voluntarily yield yourself to that because it's not fitting in the Lord is that this idea is that the husband is called to love, which is the next verse, love your wives and don't be harsh with them, which goes back to his curse too, right? Which is he's going to rule over her. Like he's got this iron scepter of demandingness yeah. and uh, a, an authoritarian rule. No, no, no. Love your wives as, as Christ loves the church is the word that he uses in Ephesians 5. Here he says, don't be harsh with them. Well, the love of Christ, if a husband's going to love his wife as Christ loves the church, well, think with me about what that means. That's selfless and sacrificial, right? That's him hanging on the cross. Yeah. That's forgiving us, even when we don't ask for forgiveness, right? 
even if we miss and omit to confess a sin, is that sin still forgiven? In Christ it is. Matter of fact, so much so that as Christ is on the cross and people are abusing him, what does he say? Says, Father, forgive them, forgive Father. Them. Yeah, they don't know what they do. They don't do even like. know what they do. Yeah. You know, th that his forgiveness is not based on that they acknowledge and say, you know what, I really screwed up. And he doesn't get into an argument with him either. Like, you guys have really blown it. You put these nails in my wrist. You've messed everything up. No, even on the cross, he's still saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So, so let's not put the wife verse in isolation from the husband verse. Yeah. Wives, voluntarily yield yourself to your husband, not to men, but as fitting to the Lord. If he calls you into a sin pattern, you don't, you don't voluntarily yield yourself into a sin pattern. Yeah. But you worship the Lord through the way that you follow your husband, by the way that you entrust yourself to the Lord as you follow your husband's lead. Well, how's your husband doing? Well, he's loving you, the wife, not being harsh with them because you can't rule over them and not be harsh with them. The curse was, is that you'd be incredibly harsh. So go to Ephesians 5, go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 has this great verse, right? Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. We have six verses there that are written to the wife. But that seventh verse, while there's only one verse there for the husband in the context of marriage, there's six for the wife. The one verse to the husband is a huge, I mean, huge verse. Yeah. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay. I'm to be a student of her. I'm to study her. I'm to know her hopes. I'm to know her dreams. I'm to know her passions. I study her. I, I jokingly tell couples as in premarital situations is it would be great for you to know what your wife orders at every restaurant you go to. If you're not paying attention to what your wife orders or what she likes or doesn't like, you should know the restaurants that she wants to go to. What does she drink at each restaurant? Yeah. Live with your wife in an understanding way because you're a student of hers. If you're going to love her the way that Christ loves the church and Jesus Christ speaks into my fears and he offers me hopes and promises, then I'm to speak into that for my wife. So live with her in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman you honor her and it says she's the weaker vessel and what wait certainly not cognitively certainly not cognitively there are brilliant women yes. in this world and there are a lot of brilliant women that are far superior cognitively than their husbands are right yes so it's not weaker cognitively and, and i mean i guess i don't know if if how many women could beat their husband in an arm wrestling match, but that makes no sense. What's the weaker? The weaker is if the wife says, I'm going to yield myself to your leadership, that is a weaker strategy. Yeah. And from the beginning, she's like, you know what? I, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to place myself under your leadership. And all of a sudden, I think that makes sense for the weaker vessel, but listen to the rest of it. Cause the fear is, is he safe? Is he safe today? Yeah. And it says, and then Peter says, you know what? They're co-heirs with you to the grace of life. Your salvation, husbands know this, your salvation cost Jesus on the cross the same way her salvation cost Jesus his life on the cross. There wasn't a bargain price to buy a female or redeem a female. She is a co-heir. Her redemption has the same price and value that yours does. And then you get the, the, the huge statement 
Why, husband? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Because I think the statement or the fear of the wife is, what if he's a fool? What if he's doing something foolish? Yeah. And I share that with him. How vulnerable am I to his foolishness? And I think that statement in 1 Peter 3, 7, the man needs to know the accountability of it. Women, wives be encouraged. God says, you know what, wives? If he's a fool, which is beginning of 1 Peter 3, if he's being a fool, he can be won over, but not by your words, but by, your, by the way you conduct yourselves. So know this, you keep being the woman I call you to be and let me deal with him. Yeah. But I think I think the fear, right, is what if I yield myself to him and he takes me down a, a road that is so unhealthy? And I think the Lord says, you know what? You follow me, wife, and let me deal with him. If he needs to be disciplined, I'm far better at doing that than the wife is. Yeah. So God says, let me deal with him. I will deal with his foolishness. You keep being the woman. Don't join him in the foolishness. You keep being the woman I call you to be and let me deal with him. And now all of a sudden we look up and say, okay, what's the threat? If God says I have you, if God says I'm for you, God says I'll protect you. And a wife is following the Lord and what he asks of her. It is incoherent and inconceivable that the Lord would allow her to suffer for doing what the Lord calls her to do. She's acting in obedience. Yeah. And so I think that that's how we put that back in context. Because I think what Paul's asking, I mean, here, I'm so, what Paul's saying in Colossians 3, what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 3, is I think both of those things are to say, you know what? There's a better way. You don't have to live out the curse. Yeah. You don't have to be at odds competing with one another. You don't, husbands, you don't have to try to dominate her. You be the man I call you to be. Matter of fact, I, I think you could say, if the husbands, the more effectively husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church, that's Paul Ephesians 5, the more effective a husband is at loving their wives as Christ loves the church, then I think it becomes quite easy for the wife to voluntarily yield herself to his leadership. Yeah. Why? Because he's all in. This is about you. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's him on the cross, taking the abuse and the punishment, forgiving, even though she doesn't even know what she's done. What a picture of marriage that we get that I think is why I refer to it. Is it possible to have a Genesis 2 marriage in a Genesis 3 world? And I think it's possible. I think we get taste of it here, although yeah. it's incomplete. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you bring up a good point in terms of you know, one, the thing that sticks out to me is just the whole idea of a voluntarily coming under. And then the second part of just realizing that um, the the weaker, you know, sex that they talk about is because of that position that they have voluntarily put themselves in. And I think a lot of people, you know, hear the word submit or helper, actually probably more submit just in terms of like, you know, being a doormat like that that means it's being a doormat or not having an opinion or a voice um or just being lorded over kind of all of the things you address and I, I really feel like that's where a lot of um the misconception comes from on that word but um I guess my question to you is because I mean ideally yes you would have a situation where 
the the husband is loving their wife sacrificially and um knowing everything about her and what she likes to drink like you brought up and all this but a lot of times that's not the case and then again it perpetuates that cycle of them while the woman is scared to place herself underneath the covering of her husband and so then that creates that tension so I guess what I'm asking is is like when there's that dynamic where um you know maybe one or the other spouse is not really answering the call that that God has called them to what what do you do then I guess is does that make sense what I'm asking yeah oh yeah <laughs> and uh and that may be one of the most frequent questions that happens in my office right yeah mm-hmm. uh and so so here's uh let's begin with a little bit of what we know to be true about God because if we miss this then my answer to your question is going to be impossible. Let's begin with the fact that God is all-knowing, He is all-loving, and He is all-powerful. All three of those things are true simultaneously. So the Lord knows everything about you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where your struggles are. He loves you and is completely for you. And so He is always battling on your behalf. And then three, he's all powerful. So whatever he says, he can back up. Okay. So having said those three things, here's really the difficult question. A wife's call to submit is an act of worship to the Lord. A husband's call to lead is an act of worship to the Lord. He doesn't lead because she's a good follower. He leads because God says lead. She doesn't submit because he's a good leader. He, she submits because God says to submit. And so within that, you've got this reality that the only caveat, there's no caveat to his leadership, by the way. There's no caveat to say, lead her unless. That's nowhere in scripture. You actually do have a caveat for the wife. Submit as long as it's fitting in your worship of the Lord. You can't worship the Lord by following him into a sin pattern. That would cease to be worship, right? So you worship the Lord. And one way you do that is to follow your husband's lead until he tries to lead you into something sinful. And then you abstain because it's an act of worship. Okay. Yeah. So when you have that, the really difficult situation is this. How do you do? Well, I think you keep praying. I think you keep praying for the wisdom and the insight and the strength and all of those things. Matter of fact, I think first Peter three and and those first couple of verses, I think give us a bit of a clue for how the wife is capable of doing that. You recognize that takes incredible discipline, spiritual discipline and empowerment if that's going to happen. But I think that's why in 1 Peter 3, when it says to the wife, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with this imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, is when your husband's being a fool and the word that it actually uses is so even if your husband isn't obeying the word, the, the scriptures, is the idea that says this, if you're going to be able to follow your husband's lead, that is a depleting of your fuel tank, right? Yeah. So what fuels that tank? Well, it's not all these jewelry and your clothing and all that. I think that's why Peter says, you know what? You keep going before the Lord. Lord, this is hard. Lord, this is a struggle. I didn't know this about him when I married him, but I'm in this marriage now. 
And I read that you, your word says to submit and it's present tense, but it is middle voice. So I choose to place myself under his authority. So I'm going to lean into that, Lord, this is scary. He doesn't get it. I think he's a fool, but you tell me that you have me. You tell me that you're going to take care of this, that you're paying attention to his foolishness. So before the Lord, before you, I'm right with you if I yield myself to him, as long as it's not anti-biblical. So Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. Why? Because I know that you're knowing, I know that you're loving, and I know that you're powerful, and you can keep your promises to me. Is that enough to hang your hat on? On days that we're close with the Lord, yes which is why we can't afford to drift very much in our relationship with the Lord. It will be all the harder if your spouse is acting foolishly and contrary to scripture. That still doesn't give you the caveat to avoid it unless it's trying to lead you into a sin pattern. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you talked about the most common question that you see in your office. So um, kind of piggybacking on that, what do you see in husbands and wives as kind of like the most common misconceptions about marriage and, you know, their role, their calls there? Yeah. So a couple, yeah, great question. So <laughs> a big one. <laughs> yeah. You asked big questions. Um, <laughs> not for the faint of heart, right? Uh-huh. So a, a, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, is marriage is not a compartment in your life. It's not that you can compartmentalize that you have your work life, you have your parenting life, you have your marriage life. Uh, Marriage takes all of you. I mean, all of you, right? If you're going to live it open, transparent, and exposed, it takes all of you. Um, If we think of marriage only as a social convention, Uh, which is a popular idea is you can say, you know what, you know what, the great thing about being married is I know who my plus one is from this point forward. Uh, So that's comfortable. I always have a person to go to the party with, you know, with, you know, running a house, there's the same number of chores. If I'm married, it gives, I can split the chores in two, costs the same money to run a household, but if we've got two incomes. And so if we think about it only as a social convention, uh, then okay. I mean, but how fulfilling is that? Marriage is hard. We know that it's hard. I'm not sure that having a plus one is worth getting married for. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, in that Ephesians 5 passage, there's this phrase that is there. And I think that it said, um, I mean, it said to the husband specifically, but I think that it is true for the wife as, as well. And it's such an amazing verse when we see the, the magnitude of think of what God intended marriage to say in that passage, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, selfless and sacrificial Christ giving himself up for the church was selfless. It wasn't about him. It was about us sacrificial. It came at grace cost, cost to himself. He laid down his life husbands. That's the way we're called to love our wives, selfless and sacrificial. But then we get this phrase that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Stated here for the husband that part of the husband's role is to help prepare his wife to meet the Lord face to face, 
that she may have the joy of hearing the words, job well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. And I think that's the wife's role too, that in this life, not everybody gets a marriage partner. And if you've been gifted a marriage partner, then the role that you have before you is so holy that it is so sacred that God had said, and I'll, I'll personalize it with Ellen and myself, is that God had said, has said to Ellen, the way that I will most primarily and principally function in your life to love you is through your husband. And so I am to be used of God to love and care for Ellen, to demonstrate the way God loves Ellen and the way that I move towards her and care for her so that one day I may get to the privilege of overhearing the Lord say to Ellen, Ellen, job well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. Yeah. And in the same way, right, that she's that for me, that God has placed Ellen in my life with not just for a partner, not just to be a plus one, not to be another paycheck in the bank, not to help me divide the chores around the house, but put her in my life to grow me, shape me, and transform me into the image of Christ, that when I get to heaven, that I may hear the words, job well done, good and faithful servant. And Ellen may have a the capacity to overhear that. And can you imagine a greater joy than overhearing your spouse hear from the Lord himself at the judgment seat of Christ, the words, job well done, good and faithful servant? Yeah. I mean, whoa! when you put it like that, it kind of changes the way you look at your spouse. Right? <laughs> For sure. What a moment. Yeah. But know this. If your spouse is not on that train with you, you're not incapable of hearing those words. Yeah. You keep being the husband or the wife God calls you to be. He knows. He's omniscient. He's all loving. He knows he's for you. He's all powerful and he can bring it about. And he's capable of preparing you for that judgment seat of Christ, even if your spouse doesn't comply. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what I want to end with, like as we wrap up, um, you know, because there are so many. And I mean, I know you as a pastor of a church is what, like how many people you have, like thousands. Um <laughs> Their souls. Yes. Image bearers. Image bearers. Exactly. My point being is that you have a lot of marriages that you are pastoring over. Um, and, you know, like you said, marriage is hard and struggling. So if there was a word of encouragement or just if there was nothing else that maybe somebody listening could grab onto today as an encouragement, if they are in a place where they're struggling in their marriage or whatever, what would you, what would you want to leave with them? I get one word. I mean, um, I'll give you a few. <laughs> okay. Let's go with the word um, grace for this reason. Let's be as gracious with our partners as we would want them to be with us, that we mm. may get the benefit of the doubt that we may be granted forgiveness for our shortcomings, that we may be restored and given another shot, that the next time we don't carry the U-Haul of baggage around behind us of our past failures, but that we get a reset to try again. Yeah. Recognizing that each of us offers to the other 
what we would want the other to offer to us. Mm. Yeah. I like that. That's good. That was a lot of words. That was a lot of words, but grace, I mean, grace sticks. Grace is awesome. Yes, for sure. So, well, thanks for coming on and talking to us about uh, Genesis 2 marriage. It's been wonderful having you here. Well, what a joy to be with you. Thankful for you and that ministry that we have been blessed by. And uh, what a joy to see God using you and, and your mom and just thankful for you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Lance Bourgeois. I pray that you walk away with new wisdom and understanding that impacts your marriage. If you are looking for more resources on marriage, Lance has a few great recommendations for you that we have listed in today's show notes. Be sure to check them out. We are coming down to the end of season one of Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. It has been an incredible experience hearing about the impact the podcast has had on individuals and families. If you are loving the podcast, be sure to follow the show so you will be the first to know when we kick off season two. Next week will be our season finale, so we hope you will join us one last time until we return after the summer with many more rich conversations that will give you hope in the heart of family life. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer. Mm -hmm.